This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right, so we're in this series that we're finishing today called Man Rise Up. And um, we've been, you know, talking about masculinity. What does it mean to be masculine? We've been speaking to both men and women in the last... uh, um, you know, week or so, I've heard back from several men and women where they, they just say how God is actually working in their marriage and working in their lives. And uh, men who have made a commitment that they're going to rise up and, and be the man that God has called them to become. Women who have made decisions that they, they're, they're going to, they want to inspire their husbands, not necessarily indict their husbands. And in fact, last week I, I spoke with a couple through tears as you know, they were crying as, as we were talking, and they're just saying that, that their marriage was basically, this is how they explain blah. It was just flat. And that now they see sort of a pathway of rekindled love and hope. And, and so, a lot of great feedback. It's been great. I've received more feedback from men that I've ever received in, a, in any kind of series before, and I'm encouraged by that. In fact, I'm encouraged because if I go and look at, if I look at the scriptures, I look at the gospels, and I, and I ask myself the question, what is, what is Jesus' Jesus strategy for changing the world? A big part of his strategy is to call men, disciple men, send men out knowing who they are in God and knowing that they are the men that God has called them to become, that that in some amazing way changes and transforms this world that we live in. And so, Life Church men, if you will rise up, you can make an impact around the world. That's where we've been talking. I've been to a lot of leadership conferences. I read a lot of leadership books, just basically out of my, my role here as a pastor. And oftentimes in leadership conferences, you, you get a lot of how-tos on different things, particularly when they're directed to church. And they'll say things like, you know, what a church needs more than anything else is an engaging mission statement, you know? An engaging mission. And that's true. We do need an engaging mission statement. You need to understand who we are, where we're going, what we're doing. But, but what the church really needs, though, is more engaged men. Sometimes they say, you know, what the church needs is an intentional ministry plan. And yes, we do need intentionality in everything that we do when it comes to, to the ministry around, around here, and we try very hard to be intentional on how we do things, but really what the church really needs is more intentional men. Sometimes you might hear them say, well, what the church really needs is, a, is more passionate worship. I, I couldn't agree more. We need more passionate worship. But what the church really needs is more passionate men. That's what we've been talking about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, it says this, be watchful. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Paul says this is, what it, this is how a man should act. A man should act like this, that he's paying attention, he's watchful, he's aware that there's an enemy out there that wants to bring the man down. If he can bring the man down, he'll bring down the family, he'll bring down the neighborhood, he'll bring down the country. So a man of God who is watchful, he's paying attention, he's strong in the faith. And so that's what we've been discussing. So what does that look like? Well, the first week we said that it, it looks like Adam, you know, the, he's our, our stereotype. We talked about Adam as our stereotype. That what Adam struggled with is what a lot of us struggle with, right? 
And primarily, we focused in on the fact that Adam struggled with the sin of passivity, the sin of doing nothing, the sin of saying nothing, that when the enemy, when the serpent was attacking his wife, he stood there and watched it happen and did absolutely nothing. And then last week, we talked about Joshua and how Joshua, we described him as the prototype. He's not the perfect man, but he's a good working model of what a man looks like, that that the way Joshua lived, his, lived out his masculinity is a, in, in a way that we can live out our masculinity and, and in many ways honor God through our manhood. Today we're going to look at Jesus, who's the archetype. Jesus really is the definition of masculinity. He's the only perfect man, and therefore, because he's the only perfect man, he is a true definition of what it means to be a man, of, of what, it, what it is to, to have masculinity that, that honors God. Now, what we said in this series is that toxic masculinity is really a problem in our day. We understand that, right? That toxic masculinity is out there, and oftentimes that the people that, 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 that talk about toxic masculinity say that the... The solution to that problem is basically to flatten it all out, to, to, to get rid of all gender, to make, to make it just neutral, nothing, you know, just, there's, you know, just do away with masculinity altogether. But I don't really think that that's a solution. I definitely know that that's not what God wants, and I don't believe that that's what women really want. But what we do need is for masculinity to be redefined to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to talk about four widely agreed upon markers of toxic masculinity. And uh, it's, I'm, I'm going to only get to talk about four. I, don't email me that, Rich, there's five or there's eight or there's 15 or whatever. There might be, but I'm just going to talk about four that I think all of us can agree that this is, this is an example of toxic masculinity. We're going to talk about those four, and then what we're going to do is we're going to con- contrast it with the life of Jesus. So what, is, what does the world show, and what does Jesus show and demonstrate through his own life? And that's, that's where we're going to go in these next few minutes. The first one is this. That toxic masculinity devalues and objectifies women. Now, we all know this, right? It's been well documented, especially in the last few years through the, through the Me Too movement, right? You've seen this. We've seen it on TV. We've seen it on the news. We've, we've experienced, we know this. There's no question that several generations of men are being and have been discipled by online pornography. And through that, we've kind of learning how to look at women. That women really are objects to be used. That being a man is really about domination and an exploitation of women. That masculinity is somehow, somehow, you know, attached or linked to sexual conquest. This is true today, but it's also been true throughout history. If you go back even to the Roman Empire, the begin, you know, a lot of the context of the New Testament is in, during the Roman, Roman Empire period. If you go back to that day, you'll discover that it was true even then. It was true even in the Jewish culture that Jesus was born into. So at that time, it was not socially acceptable for a man to greet a woman in public. It's the woman's fault in many ways. At that time, women couldn't even own property for, for the most part. During the time of Jesus, a woman could, would, it was just unheard of that a woman would ever inherit her father's wealth. 
During the time of Jesus, men could very easily divorce their wife. All they had to do was say, I don't like her anymore, and say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. It was a little bit more complicated than that, but that's what they would do. And boom, divorce could happen. But it was nearly impossible for a woman, woman to divorce her husband. This is the world that Jesus was born into. This is the world that he came into. What does he do? He turns that world completely upside down. He values women. He befriends women. He honors and respects women. In Luke 13, there's a story where, where Jesus heals a woman in the, in, you know, on the Sabbath. And, and you know if you read through the Gospels, you know there's several instances where Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And when he heals on the Sabbath, the religious leaders get very angry because they consider that work working on the Sabbath. You shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. And so they're kind of like ch- challenging Jesus in this, in this story, and Jesus is basically responding back to that, to the religious leader. And in the process of responding to the religious leader, he basically gives value to the woman he just heal- healed. He calls her by a name or a term, he uses a term that, that's very rarely used. He calls her the, a daughter of Abraham. A daughter of Abraham. And if you go through the Old Testament, you'll find many, many times, many ways in which sons of Abraham was used, but not daughter of Abraham. In this, in this passage, Jesus calls this woman a daughter of Abraham. This is a big deal. And in that, in that very small statement of using daughter of Abraham, what basically Jesus is saying is that there is, there's, in God's eyes, there's equality between man and women. That one, one is not over the other. That in a covenant relationship with God, we are the same. We're equal. The first time that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to anybody, which is kind of a closely guarded secret, the first time he ever reveals himself as Messiah was to the Samaritan woman at the well. My point is that women who were with Jesus never felt invisible. They never felt overlooked. They never felt less than. I mean, Jesus makes it clear that he respects and values women. Probably my favorite example is found in Luke chapter 8. There's a story where Jesus is on his way to heal somebody, but he's passing, he's w- walking up down the road, and there's a crowd thronging him. They're all over him. They're touching him. They're, put, they're pressing on him. And as he's walking through the crowd, he stops in his tracks because he felt power le- leaving him. He knew that something had happened. Somebody had touched him, and power had left his, his, him and gone to somebody else. There was a woman there in this crowd who had this issue of blood for 12 years. She had gone to all the doctors. She wasted all of her money on doctors and nothing, nothing had changed for her. Nothing had worked for her. And so she sees Jesus walking by. She thinks to herself, maybe if I could just press my way into the crowd, just touch, touch his clothes, I will be healed. And that's exactly what happens. This woman is healed instantly from her sickness. Jesus feels the power going out, so he stops and he wants to know who, is, who, who touched him. Now, she doesn't want anybody to know because she's not supposed to be there. I mean, she's a social outcast. She's considered unclean. She's not really supposed to be mingling in that group right there. And so she wants to get out of there. But Jesus is not going to let her get away. He's not going to let her go unnoticed. And so when he finally, she finally identifies herself to him, Jesus looks at her and he says, he calls her name. He says, daughter, daughter. Here's this woman who has been rejected. She's an outcast. And Jesus speaks value to her. He calls her daughter. Now what's interesting is that 
that the reality is that this woman was probably older than him, and yet Jesus calls her daughter. So it doesn't just tell us about who she is, but it tells us about who he is as well, right? That he has the power to give value to somebody. Now, ladies, I know that there are many examples of toxic masculinity in our culture. I know that many of you have been deeply wounded by a man, a man that was supposed to, you know, be there to protect you, but instead he's the very one who harmed you and hurt you. I know that many of you ladies do life with men who are sinners, and we owe you an apology. That's, That's the truth. I know I've had to apologize, and I had to say this in the first just to qualify. I've had to apologize to all the women in my life. And what I mean by that is my mom, my wife, and my daughter, just in case you thought, what in the world is he talking about here? <laughs> what kind of pastor is this? Right? But I've had to. I've had to apologize to them. I've had to mostly apologize to my wife more than anybody else because there's been many days where I've been selfish. I've not cherished her. I've not valued her. I've not honored her as a child of God. I've not viewed her as a daughter of God. And you have to understand that she was a daughter of God before she was my wife. And so I'm thankful to Christy for being willing to forgive and extend grace. But I realize that there's some of you who have a man in your life who has used his God-given masculinity, his God-given strength to hurt you, to abuse you, And what you need is more than just, I'm sorry. You feel like something else is owed to you. And I get that. And I understand that. And the tendency is to become bitter and and cynical. To somehow or another see yourself as a person who has been injured by a man. And therefore, by extension, all men are the same. And maybe you are bitter towards God. And so my prayer for you is that somehow or another, you would find the grace to forgive. Now, forgiveness doesn't, doesn't, is not, it's not necessarily reconciliation. It doesn't mean that, that you have trust all of a sudden. That's not how it works. It's just this ability for you to actually be set free from bitterness and cynicism and all these things. So my prayer for you is that you would find grace to forgive. Listen, ladies, at best, we men will disappoint you. But I have to tell you that Jesus will never disappoint you. Jesus is the man that you have been looking for. He will never disappoint you. He calls you his daughter. Do you hear that? Do you receive that? You are his daughter. And men, remember that when you speak to a woman, you're speaking to a daughter of God. And when you objectify a woman you are objectifying a daughter of God. And should you raise your hand at a woman, you're raising your hand to a daughter of God. And that should strike fear in us. Are you hearing me? I have a daughter. She's sitting right here. She doesn't want me to point her out. I won't. She's not married, but one day when, when, when she does, and if by chance um, he was to abuse her in any way, which if you knew Katie, you know that that's 
not likely to happen. I mean, she's going to be an Air Force pilot. She's not afraid of any guy. But if that were to happen to her, I wouldn't just sit back and be like, oh, well, she's, she's your wife. Sorry. No, as her dad, we would, go, we would do some rounds. That's right. There would be some blood. Maybe mine, but there would be some blood. Why? Because she's my daughter. And you need to understand, if that's how I feel as an earthly father, your heavenly father loves you. You are his daughter. He cares about you. So women are to be respected and valued. Another marker for toxic masculinity is there's its emphasis on dominance and power. In our culture, men are taught to measure themselves by, by dominance and power on ways that are based on dominance and power. And so what does that look like? When you're young, it's how many, how many points you scored in a basketball game, right? How much weight can you lift in the, in, in the you know, can you bench in a weight room? Or, or you know, what's, what score did you get on the ACT? And that's how we measure that as when we're young. When we're older, we start measuring in different ways, you know. We measure like, you know, how much money do you make? How many people report to you? You know, how, how influential are you? What's your portfolio look like? What kind of car do you drive? What kind of house do you own? And we try to measure that way. It's all kinds of ways of, that we might measure dominance and power. But this is really not Jesus' way. It's not how Jesus did it. Jesus does it completely different. Now, the problem for us is that when, when, when a man's dominance and power is challenged, when we like say, you shouldn't do that, or you sh-, the, the way men often respond to the challenge is through violence. We become aggressive. But if you look at Jesus, you notice he doesn't do that, at least not personally. I mean, Jesus would, you know, he would... He would be offended on, on behalf of God, so he walks into the temple, he turns the money changers' tables over because he's, he's angry that, that people have made the house of God this way. He's offended on behalf of God. He might even be offended on behalf of somebody who's being abused or hurt. But personally, Jesus never, never was offended personally. He knew who he was, even when he was falsely accused, even when he was being told, all, said all, all kinds of lies were being said about him. He stood there silent before his accusers. In some ways, this kind of redefines masculinity. So the next time that you're being criticized, the next time you feel like your power and dominance is being challenged, instead of like bowing up, instead of, you know, trying to defend yourself or launch a counterattack, instead of doing any of that, you could be humble and gentle like a man, like Jesus was. Right? You could, you could be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, like a real man. Instead of defining masculinity as power and dominance, Jesus defines masculinity as serving and sacrifice. And he demonstrates this on how he actually lived. Right? He tells us that it goes hand in hand. Serving and sacrifice go hand in hand. So, if you're talking about being a man, you're talking about serving. There's this amazing story. I love it, this story that kind of exemplifies this in John chapter 13. It's, um, it's a story about, it's, it's, it's right before Jesus is to be crucified. It's his last supper scene. And right before this, his disciples have been arguing about who's the greatest, 
Like they're going around saying, hey, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to sit at his right hand. The other one's like, no, you're not. I'm going to sit at his right hand. You know? So they're having this kind of discussion about who's the greatest, right? And Jesus sitting around a table with, the, with his disciples and in some ways maybe even remembering the, the, the conversation they were having about who's the greatest. And then he gets up from the table. They're arguing about who's the greatest. And the one who actually is the greatest, Jesus himself, gets up from the table, kneels down, and starts washing their feet. It's a definition of real manhood. He starts washing their feet. He starts serving them. Among them is Judas. Think about this. Jesus knows. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. He knows this. And still he washes his feet. I mean, by our cultural definition of manhood, I think that scene would have looked completely different. I think Jesus would have grabbed Judas by the collar, pushed him up against the wall and said, do you know who you're messing with? You know who this is? He would have done like an Anderson Silva kick, you know, front kick right in the, you know, he would have done something like that. That's, that's how we define masculinity, but that's not what Jesus did. Instead, he washes his feet. What if I told you the most masculine thing you could do is to serve someone when you won't get anything in return? What if I told you that the most masculine thing you can do is to serve someone who has taken advantage of you, who doesn't appreciate you? What if the next time you, your wife criticizes you, instead of, instead of you know, bowing up and, and arguing back or launching a counterattack, you just simply listen. Think about what she said while you're washing the dishes. I know, you might hear me say that and say, oh, that's, that's weak, Rich. Oh, yeah? Try it. Yeah, really. I mean, like, really try it, because I've never tried it. You should try it, <laughs> men. Seriously. <laughs> because I'm not there yet. But what if that's what we did? We lived out our masculinity through serving. <clears throat> Another marker for toxic masculinity is uh, tox- toxic masculinity suppresses emotions and vulnerability. Toxic masculinity teaches boys that real men don't cry, and yet the scriptures tell us that Jesus wept. He cried, right? Jesus had no problem expressing emotion and vulnerability. I think one of the reasons this is really important for us is because as men, we have been taught that there's only really one emotion that we're allowed to express. Anybody know what that is? Anger. Exactly. Anger. And so that's the emotion that we often express. We're going around, we're angry. Right? This is why so many other emotions in a man surface in anger, right? This is why fear surfaces as anger in men. I mean, men are displaying anger, but really they're just scared little boys on the inside. This is why guilt surfaces in anger. This is why shame surfaces in anger. This is why grief surfaces in anger. This is why rejection surfaces in anger. This is why hopelessness makes men feel angry. And how do most men express their anger, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, through silence or violence? We either withhold, we withdraw, we don't talk, or we get violent. And who, who you know, often bears the brunt of that, of that anger? Women and children. Jesus is not afraid to express emotion. 
In fact, he's shockingly vulnerable. There's this moment where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says to his disciples this in Matthew 26, 38, my soul, okay, Jesus is bearing his soul. He's going on the deep side of himself. He's, ex- he's opening up his, 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 his entire being. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He's appealing to his friends. He's burying himself. He's saying, I'm overwhelmed. I mean, he's overwhelmed. And he says, I'm overwhelmed. You see, acting like a man is not saying everything's okay when it's not okay. Acting like a man sometimes looks like vulnerability and, ex- and expressing emotions other than just anger. It takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable as a man. And the last... Uh, Toxic masculinity mark I want to talk about is that we celebrate, toxic masculinity celebrates extreme self-reliance. This is why many men have such a hard time asking for help. I know that, I know that that's something I've struggled with because I was taught that I'm, I'm, I'm to help but not to ask for help, right? That a real man helps people but a real man doesn't need help from other people. And that's somehow another has been put in my psyche to feel that way, to believe that. But that's not how God has called us to live. In fact, God has called us to to live lives that are dependent upon each other. And definitely he's called us to live lives that are dependent upon him, upon God himself, right? But really the mentality for a lot of us is that real men suck it up. Real men, you know, they suffer in silence. Real men just, you know, they don't, they're just t- they just tough it out. That's what real men do. Again, that's not what God has called us to do. When Jesus was overwhelmed, he said, I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed, guys. Now, in this series, we've said that, that the challenge for us men is to rise up. Now, let me put the brakes on to you guys in this room right now, because here's the problem. When I say that, it's, it's, it's almost like a scene of Braveheart, you know, where Mel Gibson is like, you know, we're like, yeah, we're going to do it, you know. And so the, the, the tendency for us men is to, to hear pastors say, you need to rise up and be the man that God's called you to become. And it's to think that I've just got to work hard. I've got to white knuckle my way into this. I've got to bootstrap my way into I've got to work really hard. And if you take that approach, what happens is that you fail. Over time, you realize that it's just me working really hard. So what I've been talking about being the man that God has called you to become is this idea of, we talked about it last week, you know, it's rising up and kneeling down. It's this idea of really putting your dependence upon God. It's this idea that we need the power of the Holy Spirit because you don't have what it takes. You yourself, man, you do not have what it takes to become the man of God that God is calling you to become. You need his power You need his strength. You need him to infuse your life with courage. You need Christian brothers around you that are going to speak life into you and encourage you to become the man that God has called you to become. So this is how I'm going to end this series. I'm going to... I'm going to read a list. I have a list up here that I'm going to read here in a few minutes. I'm going to read a list of of challenges to us men. Okay? And it's like 14, 12 or 14 on the list. And I'm going to read this list... And what I'm going to ask you to do is commit to two, at least two of those challenges. Some of you, now, the list is a varied list because I realize that there are some of you men in this room that you're doing this stuff. 
right? And, and it's varied because what one man might struggle with, another man doesn't necessarily struggle with. So I'm asking you to look, to listen to this as we're going through and commit to doing at least two things on this list. Okay? And at the end, after I finish reading the list, then I'm going to invite you men to stand, those of you who are making that commitment. All right, so let, here goes the list. Invite a godly man to lunch and ask him five questions about faith and family. Let me just, I, I want to clarify this one. Identify a person that you see as a godly man, a man who's chasing after God, and then just say, hey, I need to talk to you about, about my faith, about how to be a man, about how to be a husband, how to be a father. Okay. Ask, him, ask him five questions. Send an encouraging text to my adult children and tell them I love them and I'm praying for them. Say I'm sorry to someone and take specific responsibility. Find a widow or a single mom in my neighborhood and ask if they need help with any projects. Make a commitment to join a men's life group. We have several men's life groups in this church. Confess my sin to a brother in Christ and ask for accountability. Something that we really desperately need is accountability. Pray for my coworkers by name as I'm driving to work. Ask someone for help with a struggle. For one month, initiate prayer with your wife before you go to bed. For one month, begin every day with at least 10 minutes of prayer. Rub your wife's back for 10 minutes without making a move. <laughs> That's the one I have to commit to. <laughs> Write a note of forgiveness to my dad. And if you feel like you need to, mail it. Every day for a week, ask your wife, how can I serve you today? And probably the most important one is become a Christ follower today. So men in this room, men of Life Church, if there's at least two of these that you're willing to commit to, I'm just going to ask you to show that by just rising up, standing. Go ahead. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you, God, for these men who are today saying, God, I'm committed. I'm committed. I'm committed. I'm committed. Father, I pray that you will give them the strength, that you would help them to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit and God, to be be empowered by you, God, to do the very things that they need to do to become the men that you have called them to become. Father, I I applaud them for their courage. I applaud them for their strength. I applaud them, Father, for their desire, God, to go hard after you, God. And I just pray right now, Lord, that you will make it happen. That this right here, this room, of these men that are standing, Father, it's a representation of lives and families being transformed, of cities being transformed, of nations being changed by your power, by your spirit. God, will you do the work that that none of us can do, that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.